Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, I want to start out by talking about driver's education. You know, when I was back in high school, I had to do the whole driver's education thing, and um, it was quite an experience. And if you want to see the face of fear... Go ahead and look in the window of one of those cars you see with that student driving on the side, that little sign. Then don't look in the front window where the driver is. Look in the passenger seat, <laughs> in the side and in the back. In fact, when I was in high school, we had a teacher who would, he would, uh, we would get on the highway and he would fall asleep within five minutes of us driving on the highway every time. So we developed a, a little uh, a challenge between us as students, as high school students would, and we decided that we would have a competition. Who could get the car the fastest before he woke up? And so if you really want to see the face of fear, look at the three students who are in the back seat of that car. I have some pictures that I want to show you that kind of show you a little bit about the face, uh, face of fear. This is my son Sage. A couple years ago, Sage got to uh, go up with Adria to her, her grandmother's house in Missouri. And she lives on a big farm, and we're city people. We're not used to farms. And Sage was intrigued by the cows that she had. She had lots of cows. And so Sage, as he is, if you know Sage, he's all in and everything that he does. He's very passionate. And so he runs up to the fence, and he gets up on the fence, and he's looking at the cows. Sooner, in the next picture... His sister joins him, and they're looking at the cows, and they're, they're calling to the cows, here, cows, 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 come here, cows, as they like to do. And as soon as the cows respond, <laughs> you see Sage is gone. And Sage is very much like his father, because I would have done the same thing. But you know, Sage was running right to his mom, and that was the right place for him to go. And so that, that right there is the face of fear. Dean Martin says, uh, show me a man who doesn't know the meaning of fear, and I'll show you a dummy who got beat up a lot. <laughs> We're all familiar with fear. All of us have faced it some, some time in our life. All of us have dealt with it, some more than others. For me personally, fear has been a bully that has terrorized my life since I was really young. It's been a bully that has terrorized my life since I was really young. I remember growing up, I had a, I had what they call dyslexia. And so my biggest struggle was in the area of, of academics. So in any area where I was called upon to read or to present or to perform in front of people, there was great anxiety for me. I remember, in fact, visiting churches, and sometimes in Sunday school you would go around and you would read, and I remember being terrified about reading. And so I developed a theory in my head as a kid that, you know what, it is better for me to hide. Because rather than getting my weaknesses exposed, it's better for me to hide. And that will keep myself safe. So I developed that in many different ways. In fact, I've been working at camp and going to camps all my life. But the first year that I went to camp in the camp in Tennessee that we uh, often go to, 
I was that kid who was painfully shy. In fact, what I would do is, you know, you have activities that you had to do. Okay, I was there. But when there were those times that where you didn't have to be somewhere, where would you find me? I would be in the cabin. And I was painfully shy. God has grown me up in some of those areas, but that, that fear still remains. And, and, and the Lord is still dealing with me in a whole host of other areas about how to deal with fear. I could tell you the first time that I got to speak was at Emmaus Bible College. And what they would do is they would have, they would have the young men, they would give them an opportunity to speak on Wednesday nights for half an hour. Dan got to do it, Lenny got to do it, Ben Matthews got to do it, all of us got to do it as an opportunity for us to practice or explore what our gifts were. And so, knowing that I was a fearful person, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to accept that opportunity. And so I prepared, and I was I, I read, and I went to professors and talked about what I was going to talk about to make sure I was on the right track. And so time came for me to, to, to get ready to speak and got in the car, went to, to the church, got in front of my class, had my notes in front of me, went ahead and went through my notes in 10 minutes. I was supposed to speak for 30 of course, they filled the 20 minutes with prayer. <laughs> but I didn't stay for prayer. I left. And I walked home from that church. And I remember making a promise that I would never, ever, ever take a risk like that again. There was no way that I was going to get up and put my weakness out in front of everybody. And I would never, ever take that risk. Today we're going to look at the life of Joshua. And I should say, before I even get into that, I want you to know that that experience was probably the best thing that has happened to me. That experience was the best thing that happened because it taught me some things. But today we're going to look at the life of Joshua. He was a prominent figure in Scripture. He was a warrior, the captain of the army. And he was a regular guy, a regular person like you and me, full of fear. So we're going to look at his life. Today's Father's Day, and many of us remember and think about our fathers. We think about them as people who are fearless. For many of us, we remember how they led us with wisdom, how they taught us how to deal with our own fears, how they cheered us on and encouraged us when we were, for, we were afraid. Today we're going to look at a time in the life of Joshua where he was in need, where he was fearful, and he needed encouragement, and he got it from the best source, his heavenly father, who personally encouraged, encouraged Joshua during his time of fear. It's my prayer that you would be encouraged by God's encouragement to Joshua to face our fears today. Let's go ahead and read our passage. Um, it's found in Joshua 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After Moses, the Lord's servant, died, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Get ready, cross the Jordan, lead these people into the land which I am ready to hand over to them. I'm handing over to you every place you set foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the wilderness in the south to Lebanon in the north. It will extend all the way to the great river Euphrates in the east, including all of Syria, and all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to resist you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not abandon you or leave you alone. Be strong and brave. You must lead these people and conquer this land that I solemnly promised their ancestors I would hand over to them. Make sure you are very strong and brave. Carefully obey all the law my servant Moses charged you to keep. Do not swerve from it from the right or to the left, so that you may be successful in all you do. This law scroll must not leave your lips. You must memorize it day and night, so you can carefully obey all that is written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. I repeat, be strong and brave. Do not be afraid and don't panic. For I the Lord your God and with you in all you do. Let's just go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity for us to open up your word and to receive the encouragement uh, that you have given to us uh, through Joshua's experience, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, allow our body to be a body that is not dominated by fear, but our body would be a body that would be uh, seen as a body that trusts you and is willing to do great things for you, is willing to trust you at your word, sometimes in areas that don't make sense to us, but that we would show you faith, Lord, and that you will be pleased by the faith that we demonstrate. Lord, we thank you uh, for being present here today. and pray this in your name. Amen. Moses, my servant, is dead. Five words that reflect loss. I don't know how if you have ever had anybody who you have had in your life who really, really believes in you. There's just a sense that you know that that person has your back and that they really believe in you. For me, that person was my Aunt Gwen. My Aunt Gwen... Uh, what um, was, was a lady who actually, last time I spoke, a couple years ago, was sitting in what I called at the time the black section over there, where my family was. Uh, and, and she surprised me that day. I didn't know that she was going to show up. But she had showed up for me and supported me and, and, and encouraged me in many different ways. Well, during that uh, last year, about this time, I got a call when I was at work. I remember it clearly from my cousin, saying that my Aunt Gwen, gets me every time, and my Aunt Gwen was uh, gonna have, had cancer, was gonna die. And I remember crying on the phone at work with my, with my cousin because I was gonna lose this great person in my life. She was the last of a generation. Uh, my, my grandmother's youngest sister who loved the Lord and really encouraged me. I would go visit her probably weekly. 
In fact, I carry a check in my wallet that I never cashed because every month she would find an excuse for me to come up to her house so that she can give me a $150 check. A lady who's not working, she just wanted to support me that way. I didn't need it, but she wanted to support me that way. And that person, to hear those words, your Aunt Gwen is going to die. And then when we finally got the word that she did die, that sense of loss was great. The sense of loss was great. She was in glory, and that was great. But for me, there was a great sense of loss, and that loss was significant to me. The death of Moses was significant to the people of Israel. Think about it. This was the man who had brought them out of a bitter situation who had led them to freedom. And not only that, this is the man who they looked to when they wanted to hear from God. And this man was dead. I imagine that the news of that death spread quickly throughout Israel and the pain of this that spread throughout Israel. I bet it, it was it was felt at its deepest level by Joshua. You see, the pain of Moses, uh, the death of Moses was significant to Joshua because he wasn't just a leader to Joshua. He was a mentor. He was a father figure. He was a friend. He was one who encouraged Joshua. If you remember, it was Moses who gave Joshua his first job. He appointed him as, as captain of the guard, uh, of the army. It was Moses who impressed upon Joshua after his first battle that the battle belongs to God and that the victory belongs to God. What an important lesson for Moses to teach Joshua. Not only that, when Moses went up the mountain to receive the commandments, who was close by? When he talked to God face to face, who was close by? Joshua had been encouraged by, by um, Moses. But most of all, I think that Moses was responsible for communicating a truth that I think, I believe, not only altered how Joshua dealt with fear, but inspired a change in how he viewed himself and, most importantly, God. If you remember back in Numbers 13, Moses sends out the spies to, to look at the land. But before he does that, there's something that he does with Joshua that I believe is pretty significant. He takes his disciple aside, puts his arm around him, and changes his name. His name was changed, his name chain was ever so slight, but the impact was huge. His name was changed from simply meaning help to meaning Jehovah is help. It is Jehovah who saves. This name is the key, I believe, to his life and his work. You see, it's a very slight change, but it's a huge shift in thinking. To move from being stuck in somebody's past to cling to the object of your salvation, that Jehovah is help. Believing that Jehovah is help creates a belief that causes one to lay down their needs to protect themselves and look to God for help. It causes one to move from seeking um, to, from seeing oneself as the victim of circumstances to becoming an overcomer. From needing to be safe 
to be free to, to do the impossible things that God has called us to do. It allows us to serve a big God with confidence. I don't know if you've noticed, but when God changes somebody's name in, in the Bible, that's pretty significant. Think about the people who God has changed names. And when God changes the name, and when God makes some somebody new, he wants to do something with that person. But God's tasks are always greater than our ability. And if you look at verse 2, it says, Get ready, cross the Jordan, lead these people into the land which I am ready to hand over to them. That word, get ready. If you look at the Net Bible, it has a note that says, basically he's saying, get up. Why was he down? Well, we just talked about that Moses had died. Perhaps he was depressed. Perhaps he was overwhelmed. Maybe for a time period he had stopped moving forward. And God comes to him and says, you know what? You need to get up. You need to move on. I have something for you to do. He goes on to say, cross the Jordan. Seems easy enough. Yeah, just go ahead. Cross the Jordan. Get on the bridge. Get on the boat. Cross that Jordan. Wasn't that easy. In fact, during the time that they were to cross that Jordan, it was at its widest, its deepest. It was its swiftest. It was in late April or May. After the rainy season and the snow of Mount, uh, I believe is Hermon, was melting. And so the, the water was very wide and deep. And it seemed like a great challenge. I imagine that his thought about crossing that, that river seemed to be impossible. Finally, he says, lead the people. Seems pretty easy. Okay, I'll walk. They'll follow, right? It's kind of like when you're walking with your kids. They always follow, right? Not necessarily. At least not my kids. He says, lead these people. Leading the people seems easy enough until you consider the history of these people. We just said that Moses had died. And Moses is considered the greatest leader of Israel's history. And what did the people do in following him? They rebelled. And these are the people that the Lord is calling him to lead. Not only that, the last time that Joshua attempted to lead, it didn't go so well. You remember back to that story in, in uh, Numbers 13 where the spies go out and they survey the land and they come back and 10 of them say, you know, the land is great and it really is nice, but the, we're really small and the people there are big and there's no way that we're going to be able to conquer this land. And so the people get riled up and they start rebelling against the leaders and they want to go back to Egypt and Joshua and Caleb stand up and they say, no, wait. God is able. Don't be faith. Don't don't be faithless. Trust the Lord. And what do the people do? 
they pick up stones and they want to get get rid of them. It didn't turn out so well. And again, now God is here and he is calling him to take that risk, to take that step again to lead these people. About a year ago, right around this time also, the Lord had to deal with some some of my fears again. And it had had to do with speaking. I had two couples come to me and say, hey, I want you to do my wedding. One of them was Josh Feltz. Out of the blue came to me and said, Hey man, I want you to do my wedding. And I said, you know what? I need a couple, I need about three weeks to think about that. <laughs> and I took every day of those three weeks to get back to him and he was patient with me. And during that time I struggled and I was like, man, should I be doing this? And, and wrestled with it with God and God came back to me and said, there's no reason for you not to do this other than you're giving into fear. You have an opportunity to love a brother. And you can take this risk and love this brother and serve him that way in the face of your fears and weaknesses. So I go ahead and I do the wedding. I prepare. Oh, I forgot to mention that because I said yes to Josh, I had another friend who was getting engaged who said, hey, you're doing weddings. Why don't you do my wedding too? So I'm like, oh man. I said, okay, I'll say yes to that too. But during Josh's wedding, I had prepared, I was ready, I had everything all ready, and I'm going through going through my, my message that I had prepared, and I look over to my left and I see I see Lenny over there kind of smirking and laughing. And when you're when you're when you're speaking, you see somebody laughing, you know, things go through your head. And so you start thinking about, okay, so what is he and it's my best friend, so I'm like, what is he laughing about? And about two minutes later, the whole congregation sat down. And I realized that I've gone through half of the wedding and I had not told everybody to sit down like I was supposed to. And so I was like, oh, man, I messed up again. And that really did mess with me a little bit. After that, I came away and I had to, I had the struggle again with, Lord, I put myself out there and it didn't quite turn out the way I wanted it to be. And if it wasn't for the fact that God had had placed pillars of truth to uphold me, I might have gone back to that old belief or that old the old thinking of, you know what, I'll never do that again. And so when we come to Joshua, God provides pillars of truth. So let's go ahead and look at some of those. We said that God's tasks are always greater than our ability. But the great thing is God provides pillars of truth to hold us up in our fears. Uh, just recently, we just bought a house. We spent six months looking for a house, and he asked John, every house that we looked at, we wanted to knock down walls. Every house. We finally got into the house that we lived in, or we're living in presently, and what was the first thing we do? We wanted to knock down walls. And so I thought to myself, you know what, I could probably knock down some of these walls on my own, you know, it's just a wall. You see them on HDTV. They're knocking down walls all the time. But I decided, you know what? Let me just call Charlie Raymond and get his ideas about this. And he came over and looked at it. And he put me in contact with, with a, a guy by the name of Kyle. 
And he came and he looked at the walls that I wanted to knock down. He said, at least you're consistent. Every last wall that you want to knock, knock down is a load-bearing wall. <laughs> it's a good thing that I didn't go ahead and do it myself. Because these walls were necessary to provide the structure for that house that allowed it to stand. And so what did he suggest that we do? I needed to put up pillars to hold up the house so that it would not fall down. And God had to build pillars for Joshua's heart and mind so that he would be able to stand. If we look at the passage, God provided the pillar of his name. As bookends of the passage for the verses from one to nine, he starts out by, by God, Jehovah, the Lord Jehovah, coming and speaking to Joshua. That is significant to me. When I looked at that and I saw that is that the God Jehovah came, saw Joshua in his need, knew his heart and came and spoke personally to Joshua. He ends by saying, the Lord Jehovah is with you. The bookends for for the structure. God provides pillars of his name, who he is, to support his weak warriors. God provides pillar of his actions to support his weak warriors. If you look at verses 2, 3, and 5, It says, I will, I will, I will. On and on again, he talks about the things that God will do. He has a task for for Joshua to do, but he's saying, you know what? I will do this. I will do this. You just need to walk through the door. And he gives us pillars of, uh, of, of support by his actions. God provides pillars uh, because of his promises that he gives to support his weak warrior. He goes and he reminds, Mo, he reminds Joshua about the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses. That you can go into this land and he has promised from the north to the south, to the east, to the west, all this land, all the, everything that you put your foot on, I'm going to give it to you. I have promised this and I will fulfill it. I remember when I was preparing for it, I started to get excited when I came to this point. I came across a note that say that that word give or hand over is the most common word, one of the most common words in the Old Testament, occurring more than 2,000 times. It's one of the 15 most common words in the Old Testament. It communicates a gracious God who is anxious to bless his people, to lovingly, compassionately provide for them what they cannot provide for themselves. When all else fails, he is the one who is faithful to his promises. So God provides the pillar of his promise to support his weak warrior. He provides the pillar of his unchanging word to support his weak warrior. He provides the pillar of his presence. In verse 5 and 9, he talks about how I will never leave you. I will be with you. I'll be with you in all that you do. And these are the pillars that support us in our fear. So God's tasks are always greater than our ability. He provides pillars of truth to hold us up, hold up his weak warriors. And God graciously rewards 
our obedience with success. If you look at verse 7 through 9, it says, Make sure you are very strong and brave. Carefully obey all the law my servant Moses charged you to keep. Do not swerve from, from the right or to the left, so that you may be successful in all that you do. This law scroll must not leave your lips. You must memorize it day and night, so that you can carefully obey all that is written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. I repeat, be strong and brave. Do not be afraid. Do not panic. For I, the Lord your God, am with you in all you do. The end goal is that you prosper and succeed. Note that end goal, verse 7 and 8. Success or, as I learned, being wise, learn to live life as skill is the end goal. If you would grab hold of that truth, that God's plan and purpose for your life is for your good and his glory, not to harm you. If you can grasp that God is for us and not against us, how would that revolutionize our, our life? I believe all of us have heard those words before. But what if we really live that? If we really believe that God is for us and really took that to the bank, what would our life look like? I believe it will revolutionize the way that we, that, the way that we walk. God wants us to succeed at the tasks that he has for you. But the way to success has everything to do with what God says. Notice that he, he, he brings up statements like, do not swerve to the right or to the left, but stay on the, on the straight road. He says, you must not, it must not leave your mouth. You must memorize it. You must meditate on it. It must stay in your mind, constantly thinking about it, chewing on it. And finally, you must carefully obey it. I believe that's where we get hot, we get caught up. If you're like me and if you're truly honest, maybe the most fearful thing that God has us to do in our life is truly take his word at what it, what it says. And to trust his word even when your life circumstance doesn't seem to match up with that truth. And simply trust what his word says. That is probably the scariest thing for me to do. Because in my sinfulness, I want to control. I want to be in that driver's seat. I don't want to be the panicked person in the back seat. I want control. I want things to be my way. I want to be able to kind of, my best thinking to get to where I want to go. Usually my best thinking leads me to bad places. Why do I fight? Run from, refuse to consider direction of God? Many times it's a hurt or a loss from my past that I never got up from. Some of you might be there. 
Maybe there's something in your life that has happened that you have never gotten up from. Maybe at some point in your life you were, you were disappointed and you have never moved on from that. Maybe you took a risk and it didn't work out and you haven't moved on from that. Maybe it's a present barrier that you see that it's maybe too big for you to overcome or obstacle for you to overcome. That maybe God is challenging you right now and that challenge just seems too big for you to overcome. Or maybe it's the fear of people that keeps you from doing the things that God would have you do. I like what Tom says over and over again to accomplish our assignment that God has given to us. Maybe it's a fear of people. Adrian and I went out on a date a week ago and we were talking about how much of our life is dominated by the fear of people and how that keeps us from doing the things that God has us to do. Perhaps today by the Holy Spirit, he is saying for you to get up from your past losses, to move on, to love those he's put in your life, to step over those strongholds that seem impossible to overcome and to claim all the promises that God has clearly in his word placed before you. Francis Chan gives a great illustration. And I toyed with the idea of trying to do it myself and I just didn't think that I could I could do it justice. If you want to look it up, look online, Francis Chan Balance Beam. And basically what he does, and Lisa Goins brought that to my attention. And basically what he does, he stands up on stage and he's standing on a balance beam. And he says, what if you, he gives the idea, what if your life was like a balance beam? And so what he does is he's standing there sometimes when things get a little bit wobbly and you're walking on the balance beam, what do we do? We hunker down. And maybe we grab that balance beam. And we want to be safe. That plays out in many different ways in our life. We do everything so that we are safe. It can play out with how we raise our children. Guilty. It plays out how we give. How we spend our money. Guilty. It plays out in how we, where we find our security. Maybe we place our, our security in the fact that we have a gated community, that we have a security code in our house, and that we're safe. And we try to live our lives, and he brings the point that we try to live our lives as safe as possible. And he said, what if you saw a gymnast performing at the Olympics that way? She gets up on the, on the balance beam and first thing that she does is when he wobbles, she grabs the, the beam. And she grabs and she holds on and then when she's done, she gets off, she goes, ta-da! What would that judge say about that performance? And Francis Chan gives the idea that you have lived the safest life that you could. Perhaps it's with your gifts. There's opportunities maybe in the body that maybe you might say, oh, but I'm not gifted that way. Can't do that. 
Maybe God's calling you to do that in your weakness and allow him to be the God who saves. So we tend to live our life as safely as we can. I know that I do. I'm guilty of that. In Romans 12, 2, I really enjoyed looking at this verse. So if you turn your Bibles to Romans 12, 2, we're going to look at that. It says, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. Paints a picture of metamorphosis. Saying that right? It's a miraculous changing of the way that we think and feel. The only way that we will be able to face all these things in the world, my past disappointments that hold me down, my present barriers that are in front of me, maybe the people that are that I, I struggle with, and claim the promises that God has for me, is if I allow the word of God to deeply transform my life. Kenneth Boa says, you really cannot take a risk of obedience if your mind is not being renewed in this world. If you're not embracing the eternal perspective in this temporal world, your mind will be conformed to the world system and you will not be able to go against the current culture. To obey God means that you go against the, the current of the culture. It is often countercultural, counterintuitive for us to follow these things that God has commanded us to do for our good. Unless we are, re- are renewing our mind with the transcendent biblical principle, this transcendent bi- biblical principle, you will, you're not going to do it. And you will buckle under the pressure and give, give way to the ambient call of the world. You will not be able to be a different man. You will be a man who is conformed, not transformed. Conformed not to Christ, but to the image of this passing world. And that you will no longer, uh, you will not really be the kind of, of, I'm sorry, let me just start again with that. Conformed not to Christ, but to the image of the passing, passing world. That you will not really give you the kind of courage, the greatness, and the dignity to which you were called. You're called to more than than what this world invites you to pursue. He says, I want you to be a man of wisdom and encouragement and that you gain your insights and your wisdom and your stability and shalom from the word. You will not be the person that God has called you to unless you are changed by his word. To sit in it, to read it, to chew on it, to meditate on it, that it consumes your every life and thinking. Perhaps I do not face my fears because maybe I don't, I'm not aware of the promises that God has for me. You will not be able to not conform to this world unless you are changed by his word. In the counseling field, 
I study counseling, you often hear people say, you need self-confidence. A lot of times people go into a counseling office and that's the key to their whole life. The fact is, I lack confidence. And so I'm coming to you to cure that so that I can have confidence. And if I lack, if I gain that confidence, then my life will be successful. You hear that all the time. Believe in yourself. I'm here to tell you and to testify that we do not need more people who are self-confident. We have too many. We need people who are God-confident. God is not looking for people with self-confidence, but he's looking for people with God-confidence. There's many gifts that you can, you can receive from being able to look at your, at your fears and being able to see that you're a fearful person. One that I have found, it brings you to the point or to the place that you need help. That I need help. Every time that I get, get up to speak, I am very aware of the fact that I need help. That I am not able to be pleasing, helpful, encouraging, unless God, Jehovah, is here to help. If I get caught up in my weakness and just stop there, that's not good enough. But if I am aware that God is there to help, that makes all the difference. And so it brings me to a place where I realize that I need help. It provides me an opportunity to sit back and see that Jehovah saves. If anything good happens in, in a time that I'm speaking, and Adrian and I have had the opportunity to speak 10 years, this is the first summer that we haven't spoke at the camp that I grew up at. And every year I know, I'm convinced, and this is the gift of fear, that anything good that happens from a message that I speak, I know that's God. Because I know I'm weak in that. And that's a blessing. And that's why I said when back at Emmaus, when I failed, that was the best thing that happened to me. Because I learned the lesson that Joshua learned, that the victory and the battle is the Lord's. And he asks us to be faithful. It provides me the opportunity to claim his promises, to remind myself of those pillars of truth. And not to live in what I, what I think is real and to embrace those things that are real, which is God's word and God's truth and his promises. To embrace the God who is loving, caring, and good. Perfect love casts out fear. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Christ today, you are like everybody in this room, are a person of need. And outside of Christ, you have everything to fear. Because the wages of sin is death. If you are outside of Christ, you have every reason to fear. Because the wages of sin is death. You also have every reason to find hope in Jesus. Because Jehovah saves. Because the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. Today, you have an opportunity to come and claim that gift. 
I invite you to know that God who's big, who loves you, who sees you where you are, who sees you in your sin and his presence and wants you to come to him. I pray that my brothers and sisters will look at the areas in their life that they sin against God by giving in to their fears. Because it means everything when you stand before the beam of seat of Christ. And those things that you didn't do because you were fearful is that less thing that you're able to, to, that crown you're able to lay before your Savior. I pray that we will be able to look at our fears and embrace the God who is present, who promises to be with us. Let's just close in prayer. Then, Father, Lord, we just thank you that you are present. Then, Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we're at, that you understand us very clearly, that you know our fears. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have a work for each one of us to do. And, Lord, we cannot do that unless you are there to help. Lord, make us a body who is dependent upon you. Make us a body who, who is willing to live our lives not as safe as possible, but one that embraces, is, embraces faith. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased with our life. We thank you for your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.